Reading Corner today, I'm really delighted to be welcoming back Eva Yosefkovich, and we're going to be talking about her new book. Eva, you probably remember, is the author of Mystery of the Colour Thief, The Key to Finding Jack, and The Cooking Club Detectives. Her new story is called The Dragon in the Bookshop, and it's a time slip story, and one that is very close to Eva's heart, but I'm going to invite her to talk about that. But before we get into the detail of this story, tell us about it in your own words, Eva. Oh, well, thank you, first of all, for the really warm welcome. Um, it's great to, to be back on the podcast. Um, so, yes, as you say, The Dragon in the Bookshop is my latest book. It's out on the 7th of July. And it's one that's particularly close to my heart um, because it's based very much on my own personal experience of losing my dad um, when I was a teenager. I was in secondary school at the time. Um, so the story is about a boy called Conrad who goes through that same grieving process after the loss of his dad and he finds himself really very lost so um, everyone tries to be supportive his mum does her best his friends you know sort of try to carry on as normal inviting him to football matches walking to school with him but he's he's going through a really really tough time and actually he stops speaking which is something that I experienced myself because I just sort of felt like I couldn't communicate with the world um, at the time. And uh, Conrad is particularly drawn to his dad's bookshop because his dad was a bookseller like my own dad. And he decides to go back to his dad's bookshop and something quite magical happens there, um, mm. which we can go on to talk about. We will. Let's talk about some of those issues that you've uh, just mentioned there, first of all. I was interested that as it is such a personal story, you chose to make your protagonist a boy. Was that a way of distancing yourself a little bit from the story or did it just feel natural that it was a, a male character? It's a very good question, actually. Um, I feel in a way, possibly because the story was very, very much based on, on my own experience and so so much of it is is almost exactly what happened to me even you know even with with the the job of of his of Conrad's dad um I feel like I needed to have some differences um so I, I think that was a subtle way as you say of, of of maybe getting some distance but I was also um actually doing a number of school visits um before writing the book they were mainly still virtual at the time but I was on several occasions asked the question why all of my protagonists are girls and uh, and there wasn't actually a reason for it I thought it was just something that had happened and I thought it would be quite interesting to try a male protagonist um, so I decided to to do that in this book. When you say uh, to try a male protagonist were there any differences in writing from the boy's perspective or did you find it's just like developing any good character it is about developing um a good character I think essentially there's you know sort of it, it's about the person rather than the gender but I I did feel that I wanted to you know sort of have both male and female protagonists in my stories and and uh, and I wanted this time to to try a boy, try writing a boy. I've also got four nephews who just so happen to be roughly Con's age. Um, so they're you know sort of between the ages of of nine and eleven. Um, and so I I feel like I've got a good basis of you know sort of understanding what being a boy of that age might be like. Um, obviously, I'll never truly 
truly no but uh but yes I wanted to sort of partly base it also on on my nephews as you say con has selective mutism caused by the trauma um in his life and as the story goes through we see that um being reversed first of all by being able to communicate with a good friend and people often don't understand do they that it's not that you don't want to speak necessarily this is how I understand it and I've just read uh, another book which has selective mutism as one of its themes but that you can't rather than don't want to is that what it was like for you and is that what it's like for Con? Yes, it's definitely the case that that um, you can't. I have uh, you know quite vivid memories of one particular friend of mine, Glasser, who was who was lovely and tried to be incredibly supportive. Um, and I would travel to school with her, and 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 she was always trying so hard with me to you know engage in conversation. And and I just I wanted to respond, but I just couldn't. I just didn't feel you know, that the, what I would, was saying made any sense. I know that that in itself sounds a bit bizarre, but but I just felt like I didn't quite belong to, to that world anymore. Um, I think that's the best way of describing mm. it. And she ended up just, you know, sort of monologuing in the back of the car sometimes. And Con's friends are similar. They, you know, they, they tried to do the same thing. There's one friend that he, he walks to school, to school with and that friend also, you know, tries to talk but also also just sometimes just walks in silence and and mm. accepts that that's what con is like and just mm. waits patiently to in the hope that things will get better and that um and that his friend will return to the way that he was before i mean he starts talking to maya in this story what is it that what's the sort of trigger for him that feels that this is somebody that he can talk to I think with Maya, it's the case of her being some somebody who's absolutely brand new in his life, who has no expectations of him, no knowledge of what he was like before, um, initially no knowledge of, of, you know, of the awful event that has led him to be the way that he currently is. And I think it's that sort of outsider's perspective that makes him want to open up because he feels that, that yeah, as I say, there's no expectations, so anything that he does do will just you know be be accepted which which I think is so important and and actually I think that links uh, I didn't realize this as I was writing um her character but I think it links to this really important role that that you know a therapist or a counselor can play in the life of a bereaved child and and perhaps later we could go on to to talk about grief encounter which is a, a charity that I'm um, looking to support through this this book and and raise awareness of of some of the the work that they do with them um, mm. children who have lost someone they love. Tell us about that now. That would be lovely. Oh, okay, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so, Grief Encounter is a lovely charity that I found out um, about whilst working in the education sector several years ago. Um, so, I worked for a support service for senior leaders in schools, and I was also a school governor for several years. And I just felt like if that charity had been around when I was uh, you know, at school, I just think it would have made such a world of difference. Because I think that crucial element for me that was missing is having, you know, this this outsider's point of view um, of somebody who doesn't know you, who um, won't have any, you know, sort of prior judgment of, you know, what you were mm. like before versus what you are now, or what you are like now. 
And crucially also, that particular charity brings together people that have gone through similar experiences. So there are, you know, family days out, there are events, there are book clubs, you know, not to, not to mention, of course, the um, Grief Talk helpline, which is a sort of direct helpline to, to a therapist. Um, so, so I think it's so important for those two reasons. It's an important element of the story. And thanks for telling us about uh, that charity. Uh, and it's great to hear uh, that you're supporting it. I don't want our listeners to think that that's all the story is about. In fact, there are lots of happy memories connected with Con's dad. And, uh, you know, one of course, one of the bits that I really enjoyed was the way that you recreate the magic of bookshops and the magic of books. Uh, it's a bit of a love story to bookshops. And your it bookshop is, is called yeah. A Likely Story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I very much based it on um, on my dad's bookshop, which, you know, was was not uh, by any means, didn't have a, a, a funny name like that and was quite, quite different because it was in a city, whereas Connor lives out in the countryside on the coast. But you're absolutely right. I have always loved bookshops and libraries. And uh, when, because my dad was a bookseller, I would spend many half terms and school holidays in his bookshop. And I always fancied myself as a bit of a Matilda because I was reading my way through the children's section. And I was always the first one to find out about lots of exciting titles, including Harry Potter, actually, who uh, my dad, you know, sort of gave me the first book when I was 11. And I brought it into into school um, in year seven and, you know, and said, guys, this is going to be massive. And they were like, oh, you always say that it's going to be massive because you're always reading brilliant stories. And I was like, no, this one's, this one's going to be different. And lo and behold, it was huge. <laughs> so, um, so yes, but, but going back to, to bookshops, um, I just think they're such magical places. There's, there's so much to be discovered there. So many worlds hidden in among the pages. And something that my dad used to always say to me, which which is the quote actually on the on the cover of the the proof that you have there, is um, that for for every person, every reader, there's a character in a book that matches them almost uh, entirely, and it's just a case of finding them, which I thought was such a such a brilliant uh, mission to send me on because I was always sort of thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's this person, maybe it's this person, and and I and then I would think, oh, it's not quite it's not quite right, and so I'll you know be enticed to keep reading it's really interesting you should say that I've written that quote down large on my sheet of paper here because it really set me thinking you know you touch base with lots of characters that you read about but I don't think I have yet discovered a character that is exactly like me and it's kind of sending me on a quest because I hadn't you know, I never really thought about that before. You're like lots of different characters in lots of different ways, but that perfect match, not yet. Have you found your perfect match? I haven't yet found my perfect match, no. There have been, but interestingly, throughout um, my life, the the sort of characters that I sort of felt closest to have, have really changed. So I started out, I think, when, when my dad sort of first said that to me, I was absolutely adamant that it was Pippi Longstocking because I um, there were you know various quirks that I, I was amazed that she did the same thing. So for example, I used to um, sleep upside down in my bed when I was sort of six or seven with my um, feet on the pillow. 
and Pippi Longstocking did the same. And I said, you know, sort of thought, oh my goodness, amazing, it's definitely her. But they changed throughout the years, and I think that's the magic of it that you you just have to keep keep looking. Mm. And of course, Pippi Longstocking is an intrepid um, explorer as well. Yes. And um, part of this book is about being an intrepid explorer and never letting fear overwhelm them <laughs> yes fear stand, stand in the way absolutely absolutely I was quite an anxious child actually and um and books were very helpful in in trying to overcome that anxiety and and do brave brave things that that I otherwise may not have done and I think mm. that's something that my dad helped me out with as well now there's a legend at the heart of this story it's a real yeah. legend it's the dragon of Krakow and that this becomes really key to the plot and con hears this story from his father maybe you could tell us a bit about the legend it's about a dragon um who suddenly appears in krakow in medieval krakow and he um makes a home for himself in the cave below the castle um so this is in the time when um poland still very much had a monarchy and this is allegedly a real king um who you know uh, lived in the middle ages um, he was called King Crack, and he was actually the king that gave his name to the city. Um, so, uh, so he lived uh, obviously with his courtiers, his family, and so on in in this castle directly above the cave in which the dragon dwelled. And everyone in the entire um, city was absolutely petrified of the dragon. Um, so the dragon had an insatiable appetite. So uh, he was, you know, sort of eating everyone out of house and home. They, you know, you know, bought him piles of food every day. Um, he had, you know, uh, entire cows in, in one sitting. And there are various sort of versions of the legend in which, uh, you know, sort of scarier versions say that he also captured people and ate them, <laughs> which is, uh, which is, you know, sort of a version that I didn't actually explore in my story. But I always wondered, because um, the legend didn't touch on, um, on why he was there. Because I thought it's quite random, even as a small child, I sort of thought it's quite strange for a dragon to suddenly just make him, you know, sort of make his home in a city where there are no other dragons. Um, he clearly is alone and lost and finds himself among people who are scared of him. It's not a nice situation to be in. And I felt like there was this whole other untold backstory to do with this dragon, which which I thought I would quite like to explore. Mm. So Maya, Con's, fr Con's friend, is a little like you there because she's the one that starts to say, well, they didn't treat him very nicely. They got rid of him, but they tortured him by making him drink all of this water because he was so thirsty from eating the sulfur injected food. Yes, and, you know, she yeah. feels sorry for him. She does, absolutely, because uh, as you say, in the original legend, um, after many, many attempts to get rid of the dragon that fail, um, there is the successful attempt where um, they stuff a lamb filled with sulfur and, you know, sort of in the dragon eats it and and then you know effectively dies as a result of drinking the whole Vistula River dry <laughs> so uh so yes but as you say Maya has a has a very different approach to it which is which is effectively the way that I thought about the story uh we'll come back to the dragon in a little while but uh, we start to see perhaps some connections to the legend when Con discovers a claw print which we think is a dinosaur 
claw print of some description. This also links us back to the bookshop and you know how you can find things out in bookshops and libraries. What 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 is it that he's found? Well, so this part was actually inspired by a story not so long ago, which you, you might remember that was on the news about a little girl who discovered a um a dinosaur footprint on the on the rocks basically by the coast. And I thought, isn't that a wonderful discovery? That's, you know, sort of literally so many thousands of years have passed since that um, footprint was made and yet it's still there. So I wanted to incorporate it into my story and I wanted to make it a bit of an unknown as to what kind of creature made this footprint. And um, as we mentioned previously, Con is an um, intrepid explorer and he used to, you know, make all sorts of discoveries with his dad when they would uh, go on trips around the around the coast and this is something that his dad would have absolutely loved because he loved dinosaurs um which is why it's um you know all the more devastating that he's not there to to witness it um but con takes photos of this print he's really fascinated by it um and the print is very much real it's just a case of sort of him trying to figure out who made it i think i'd like to hear a little bit of the story now you are going to read us a a section maybe you could tell us a little bit about what leads up to to this bit of the story yeah of course so this section that i'm about to read con decides that he will invite maya to his dad's bookshop the bookshop is sadly about to be closed because con's mum has decided that she just can't do it justice so his dad used to run it um in an amazing way he was known as the book, book matchmaker, so he always found the ideal book for each of his customers. And his mum, who has a very different job and very different interests, just feels like she won't be able to, to run it in the same way. So she's decided to sell it, and um, Con takes Maya on a final visit to the bookshop um, because it's such a special place to him. And Maya hasn't really been much of a reader to date. She admits that she loves stories, but um, she struggles a bit with reading. And she hasn't, it, it seems as though, you know, she hasn't had much of an opportunity to, to develop um, her passion for reading. So Con's decided to, to change this. So this is what happens. He, he gives her a range of different titles um, and he encourages her to, to, you know, find a book that, that will pique her interest and, and you know, spark her love of reading. And uh, here we go. I read her some of my favorite bits from Northern Lights and she read the opening of some adult books because she liked the titles. She thought that I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings might list all the reasons on the first page and that Catch 22 was mysterious because so many other catches had come before it. Why is the tw- 22nd one so special? She asked her eyebrows raised. Don't you want to find out? Then I spotted my pile of books in the corner. I scanned the spines and I knew what they were even before I read the note on the top, scrawled in mum's handwriting, to take home for con. These are yours to keep, asked Maya appreciatively. It was a mix of stories I loved when I was younger, a couple of books from the dinosaur section and a few titles I'd picked up when I was last at the shop, meaning to read them but forgetting to take them home. I wondered how mum knew. Maybe I could borrow some of these after you finished, asked Maya hopefully. Yes, for sure. But what's this one, she asked, pulling out a book from the middle of the pile. Look at it, it's beautiful. She handed it to me and I ran my fingers over the silky green cover. My heart stopped. Tiny footprints embossed in gold stamped around the edges of the cover, 
shaped just like the one that I'd found. I turned the book over, checking the spine, but strangely, there was no title. This book wasn't new like the others. It looked very old, as if it had come from the distant past, when dragons and magic might have existed. When I finally dared to open it, the thin yellow paper crackled beneath my fingers and gave out a sweet, musty smell. I turned carefully to the title page, where there was a picture of a dragon. It was so detailed and intricate that I could see every muscle in the dragon's body. It had magnificent gleaming orange scales and vast sweeping wings. His yellow eyes sent goosebumps down my spine. This wasn't just any dragon. And then what happens is that Conrad starts reading the legend which is within the story and he gets transported into an entirely different world. And I love the way that that transportation happened because there's no fireworks or strange feelings. There's just this sudden awareness that the light has changed that's what you describe it as and I know as I as I was reading I was thinking you know the day is ending it's getting darker outside and then you read on and you realize they're in a different place their clothes have changed and then you realize that that clue the light wasn't really referring to the passing of time yes exactly I wanted it to be quite a smooth transition and then for I guess for for everything to be quite unexpected both for the reader and for the characters and then of course they're they're plunged into the legend itself as it were. So we won't say too much about that because we'd like people to read it and enjoy it but I think we can probably say that part of their reason for being there might be to bring about a different kind of ending to the legend. Exactly. That's exactly what they set out to do. That's their quest. And what I think readers might find interesting is that they have very different ideas about how to go about that. One of the things that I I really loved in the story at the beginning was your wonderful sense of place, the coastline. You described the wind, uh, just a paragraph. Um, The wind is almost personified in that passage. And I got a real sense of, you know, the, the beach and it was very specific, the redness of the beach. Uh, when you go back in time, did you have to do much research to create the same sense of place? I did. I did. Do you know, what? I, I actually went to Krakow with a friend of mine and I spent some time there. And what's really fascinating is that there, there is a cave below the castle that you can visit. And a lot of that part of the city actually has remained intact. Um, it, it, unlike other cities in Poland, it wasn't destroyed in the Second World War. And the, the old town itself, um, the medieval town, is still there and, and, you know, by all accounts looks much the same. So it was lovely to actually walk around some of those cobbled streets and, and try to imagine it in the way that it would have been, you know, back in the, the Middle Ages. But I also did a lot of historical research into, uh, you know, what life was like in that time, what medicine was like, um, what bookmaking was like, because interestingly, uh, one of the characters is a scribe. So all of that was, was, was deeply fascinating. And did you research far more than you could end up using in your story? (laughs) Oh, yes, that's always the case. And you think it's such a shame because there are so many different elements that you could touch on. But obviously you want to keep it relevant to the story itself. It's a great read and it's also very moving. Having written the book now and it's uh, about to be published, 
coming back to your personal story, was there any sense of catharsis in writing this story? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was it was actually a story that that my um, my publisher had encouraged me to write for quite a while, and I think it it took it took me some time to to think of what the right story would be for expressing my feelings at the time. Um, I'm really glad that that I wrote it. It has been a very cathartic experience. Um, this is a book that's very much about my dad and about you know sort of a love of reading and a love of bookshops as we've been discussing but actually I don't think that any of my books would have necessarily been written if it wasn't for him um because I think you often need somebody in your life to to encourage um a passion and you know those passions could be anything could be sport could be music in in my case it was reading and it was something that my dad discovered that I loved doing from a very early age But I think if he hadn't really ignited my love of reading, um, I think I probably wouldn't have become an author. So it's it's almost a bit of a, I don't know, like a a bit of a thank you, I suppose, um, to him for putting me on that path. Well, it's a really lovely book and I wish you all the success with it uh, when it's published. In the meantime, thank you so much for talking to me again, Eva. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.